You're listening to sermon audio from the Shore Church, located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Would you would you please stand with me uh, as we read God's Word and get into the text for this morning? We're in Ecclesiastes six this morning, and we're going to be walking through. We're right in this dead center of this book, and so if you're if you're new here, welcome. It's so great to have you. Uh, but you've jumped into a book that is like no other. It is uh, wisdom literature, and it uh, challenges us to no end as we live around the things that it talks of here on this earth. So let's, uh, let's take a look at it, what, what it says here this morning. So verse 1 of chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his youth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him until him under the sun? This is the word of God. All right, you can grab a seat. Uh, My name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is a joy to be with you this morning uh, to talk through what this amazing passage is talking about. I am getting some feedback. I'm not sure what that is. We're trying to work on it. I don't know, but I'm hearing like my voice over here. So I, I keep wanting to look and see if there's another really tall, good-looking guy over here. But it's there's no one there. <laughs> there's no there's no one here either. Uh, but let's uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump into this text. Uh, so bow your heads with me, uh, Jesus. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that uh, you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are good and gracious and loving, just as we have already sung. And uh, Lord, I I pray that we will uh, fall deeply in love with you uh, this morning uh, through this hard text of Scripture that challenges us once again of what we are looking towards uh, for fulfillment. And I I pray, Jesus, that we will be awakened to to this and in a new way uh, that might change us and, and morph us to become more like you. So I pray this in uh, Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm not sure about you, but have you ever like watched a video and wanted to literally just toss your computer across the room? 
or look at the video and just go, whoever created this, I really want my time back. Uh, this, this was the worst six minutes of my life, and I am so sorry that I watched your video. Uh, or whatever it might be. Well, I'm saying this because I watched a couple of motivational videos this, this week, uh, early on in the week anyways, just to, for pre- preparing for this sermon. And man, did it frustrate me to no end. Like, I, I felt like I wanted to toss my computer. And it's really interesting because it's, all it is is an individual that makes really good videos. Uh, and there's 900,000 people, almost a million people, that watched this one video that I watched. And it gave uh, five points, I was going to say compelling, but they, they really weren't, uh, five points to how to live a joy-filled life in this world without God. And if there's 900,000 people watching this, and I read some of the comments below, and, and I'm going, man, this is, the, the, the wisdom of the world is, is actually ridiculous. It actually battles itself in so many different ways. And I, I want to show you that. Like, I'm, I'm actually, hes- I was hesitant of actually giving you more of a, a discussion about this video. But I want to talk and use this video for a reason. I'm not going to show you the video because I don't want to give any more followers to it uh, or waste your six minutes of time. Uh, but I want to show, I want to give you the five points that this video shared. Give some explanations, what it gave explanations on these five points. And then... Look into the scripture, look into the passage we just read and, and see what God says rather than this world. And so the five points uh, are on the screen there. Spend time with people. Sounds good. See good in things. Live your way. Take care of your body. Believe in yourself. So five points that the world gives you for joy. And the, these five points are actually everywhere. They're, they're in self-help books. Uh, they're filled in the libraries all around us. They're... Uh, on bus stops, like just do it, uh, Nike symbol, like live your way is, I think it was a Pepsi slogan at one point. It's, it, they're, they're everywhere. And so for them to creep into the church, it's not actually surprising because we're constantly being bombarded with these things. And when you look at them, you might go, Jerry, they, they actually don't look all that bad. Uh, they don't look all that bad. And the problem is with that, is that we're so used to, and hear me on this, like we're so used to, aren't we, hearing things about our kingdom that elevates our kingdom over even God's kingdom that we actually go, that sounds really good. Because it's all about us. And that's what these points are. And I want to show you through the explanation, their own personal explanation, not mine, so I pulled this out of the video, and, and uh, so let's take a look at it. The point one there, spend time with people. It sounds good. That's what we're all about. One of our core values is community. That's why we do community events, like having a barbecue at my place after, and there may be, kids, uh, tell your kids, a bouncy castle. All right, so pulled that out of the storage. We need to get that thing fired up. But uh, spend time with people. But the explanation you see on the screen, it says, if people don't help you, or if people give you bad energy... Get rid of them. I was like, what? That is so weird. Um, In so many different ways. But this is the world's counsel for joy, right? Bad energy. What what, What if you have bad energy? Are you giving allowance to everybody around you to get rid of you? Do you see what's going on here? The 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 joy of the world's explanation, the explanation of the world for joy is about. 
ultimately, it's about isolation. It's about your desires being met, and when your desires being met, when your expectations aren't met, get rid of those people. Fill your life and spend time with your life with people that meet your expectations because you deserve it. It's such a contrary message to what the Bible says because the Bible says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says this on the screen, do nothing from selfish ambition. So the first one is all about me, right? Like if you give me bad energy, I'm, I'm not about you anymore. I want to get rid of you. Selfish ambition. I'm about serving self. I'm about my kingdom, right? Selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So the one with bad energy actually look to love them. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The message of Jesus goes as far as to say, love your neighbor, but that does not, no, that's not where he stops, right? Like you, you guys know the word of God, some of you anyways, and it says, love your enemy. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 8, and 10, it's one of my favorite little passages. Jesus is explaining, you know what? Some really good people will die for their friend. But when you are weak, when you are an enemy, when you are giving bad energy towards God, when you are a sinner towards him, when you are rebelling against him, he died for you. He paid for your sin while you were an enemy of his. And then he says, go and do likewise. Go and love your neighbor. Go and take care of them. Serve them out of humility for all the things that you've been blessed with. It's such a contrary message to what our world is proclaiming. See, there are subtle similarities, but the glaring difference is that the world is proclaiming to say that you have the ability to feel bad energy, and if you do, get rid of it completely. See, if we live this way, do you realize no one would have any friends? <laughs> None of us would have friends, and that's kind of what it's going towards, right? Like, if, like the, the, the social aspect of things, that's why we we're trying to build community through just engaging with one another. And do this monthly. And Jody and I are writing out some plans for this next coming year. And, and I, we're going to have some fun. Tacos and basketball night. Right? Just come here, eat some tacos. And everybody, doesn't matter if you've ever played basketball before, let's play some basketball together. And we've done this with our family. And we had the most exciting, fun time together. And so we're going to do that here. We're going to have other things and parties. And, and look towards getting involved with one another. Looking to the interests of others instead of just about me. And so we're going to have some fun together. But, but it, this is exactly, this bad energy and get rid of it, it, it's exactly what is happening today. A separation from all live social communication. And it's moving online. Social media is part of this. I was talking to one of uh, my daughter's uh, teammates, and, and the amount of time, I was just being observant and just watching as I'm communicating with her, and she pulled her phone out probably about 50 times in a short amount of time. She would say something and then feel something inside of her to the point she had to look at her phone, and then I would ask her another question, and then she would answer really quickly and look at her phone, answer really quickly, look at her phone. We have forgotten to be social with one another. Because if I give you bad energy, you get rid of me. The second point is see good in things. See good in things. The explanation here is if you see good in things, then you will attract more good towards you. 
I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I, 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 I taste a little puke in my mouth. <laughs> it's like, it's just like, I'm not sure if you've ever done that, but it, we can see good in things because all things have been given to us by God. That's why we can see good in things. Right? Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, God's divine power has granted, gifted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All good things are from the Lord. It isn't just seeing the good and then someone attracting that good of a, of a thing towards you. It's seeing the good in things and going, there must be a creator of that good thing. I want to give honor to Jesus. I want to take joy in the Lord. I want to, I want to glorify God in this good thing that I get to see rather than kind of trying to absorb it for you. See, it's not about us. It, it isn't about the possession that you see is good. It, it is about God, seeing good in things that God might be glorified. Why? Well, because everything is his. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the, Lord is the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in the earth is his. So of course we can see good in things. But how foolish is it to just stop there and just to turn that good towards us? It's again recognizing the creator of it and giving him the glory, praising his name. See, the goal is that God be honored, not us. The world's message, see good in things that they might serve you. The Bible's message, worship the creator, not the creation. Number three is live your way. The explanation here is, it's interesting. Don't let people make you feel guilty living the way you want. I was like, okay, already there's dysfunction in your five points. Right? But, it, but what if the way you want to live brings bad energy? Right? Like now we're flipping it. Like there's this uh, folly here that's happening here. Again, like if, you, if you're the bad one, do you see, like if you're the bad one, do you get rid of yourself or, or do you get rid of your friend there? Like if they didn't meet your expectation, like what happens here when there's so much dysfunction? See, the fool is the one who lives for himself and not God. In the book of Jeremiah in the Bible, right around the middle of the Bible, there's this book called Jeremiah. It's a, it's a major prophet. And he talks about this, this shrub uh, in the middle of a desert and this is the individual person that is living without God. Just dry and beat up and so frail, you touch it and it just explode. See, we were never meant to live our way. We're never meant to live our way. But that's the world's message. Live your way. See, Adam and Eve tried that. The very first per people on this world tried that. And it never went well. Right? They walked together in community. They walked to a, a tree that was forbidden from them, the one tree in the whole garden that God said, do not eat of this tree, for you shall surely die. And they went together in unity, ate the fruit, and then what did they do? They isolated from one another. They isolated not just from one another, they isolated from God. They tried to hide from him. If you could ever hide from God, it's impossible. But they tried. They tried to isolate from one another. It was never meant to be this way. See, those who built the Tower of Babel tried it, never went well. It led to isolation. 
Judas, one of Jesus' closest followers, tried to be all about himself while walking with Jesus, and it never went well. It led to isolation and eventual suicide. It's not meant to be this way, to live on our own. We're to be in community. See, the problem, if, the pro- if it is a problem, is that Jesus tells us to pick up this death instrument of the cross, that's what it is, and follow me. And he says, you know what? If you follow me, if you trust in me, if you believe in me, there's going to be persecution. He never shies away from telling you the whole truth. I've got this diagram. We were trying to figure out my iPad here so I could put it on the screen, and unfortunately it wasn't working. But I want you to picture, like, coming to Christ is this line, this steady line, and then all of a sudden there's this conversion moment, this understanding that, oh my goodness, God is who he says he is. God is the creation. Like, if there's trees and mountains and oceans, there has to be a creator. And you come to a moment that you realize that you're sinful and that you need someone to save you and that only Savior is Jesus Christ, that he came 2,000 years ago to die for your sin and pay the full penalty that you couldn't pay. And you surrender to him. You confess him as Lord and Savior. And there's a conversion moment and all of a sudden you're on this trajectory of upward. And Jesus never tells you, or he always tells you the whole story on that side. He says there's going to be suffering, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be trial, there's going to be all these things, but the end goal is blessing and eternal life with me, and you are renewed fully. He tells you that story, and that's what the Bible is telling. But there's another line. There's a line that goes down this way, opposite of the the first one. In that line, there's a little bit of a block. So picture a line and there's just this wall. And before the wall hits, there's this gratification. And that's the world telling you, get what you get. It's all about you. Gratify yourself. Get whatever you can to serve you. But it never tells you what's on the other side of the wall. It never does. You find out for yourself. When you get that gratification and then you realize oh my goodness, it never served me the way it said it was going to. It actually led me to shame and depression and anxiety and frustration. And so I need to get more gratification. So I come back over here and I get more gratification. Then that gratification never ends well. And then now I'm in this vicious cycle of folly, eventually heading towards death. This is the world's message to you. It never tells you that Pornography will be awesome. It will tell you that, but it never tells you the end goal of pornography. It tells you riches will be awesome, but it never tells you that it will never satisfy you. It tells you a long life will be awesome, but it never tells you the end goal of this long life if you have no God in in your life, the true and only God. It will never tell you the end result, and the end result is death. The end result is isolation from the one and only one that can give you eternal blessing. See, so the message isn't live your way and all is going to be great, but the message of the Bible is die to yourself. Die to it. Live for God. And Jesus is gracious enough with us to tell us that there might be some significant valleys, but the end goal is eternal blessing with him. Number four point from this very worldly video 
is take care of your body. Right? Sounds great. But the explanation here is eat well, develop yourself, invest in you. Invest in you. Hmm. Interesting. When you substitute God for you, the end goals are very narrow and shallow. Very narrow and shallow. Not to mention that um, it is grievous sin to worship another God. And especially one that gets sick, that, that gets old, that has really bad knees, that loses its hair, right? Why would I invest in this? Like, thank you, El, for laughing at me. Right? We, would, we wouldn't invest in this, right? 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, for while bodily training is some, of some value, it's of some value to do some push-ups, all right? To get, to, get, to, get, to get some exercise. The joints do feel better. Godliness is, is, of, is of value in every way. In every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So yeah, working out, eating well, it has some value. But godliness has eternal value. See, the problem with this type of gospel of take care of your body is that it really only works for the healthy. Doesn't it? Like, take that gospel into the hospital. Take that gospel to someone that's dying of cancer. Take that gospel to someone that just lost their child. Take that gospel to the one who has been physically and mentally and emotionally and sexually abused. See, what about my daughter, Elle? She was born with Down syndrome. Should she invest in herself? Does it work? Or should she invest in a community that loves her and cares for her and seeks her good through humility of yourself for the sake of her needs? That sounds like a community that she should invest in. It also sounds like a community that we all should invest in. One that lays itself down for the sake of another. One that seeks the other's needs rather than just seeking our own. This is what the Bible calls us to. See, if we were only about our physical needs, our mental health, our emotional stability, wouldn't we just be a bunch of nasal, navel gazers that separate ourselves from our community? We'd be so worried about ourselves and our needs, our wants and our desires that we actually forget about everybody else. Now, it's not wrong to seek help, but we need to seek help from those that point you in a direction of Jesus Christ, your lasting eternal hope. And do you realize that all worldly counsel, all worldly counsel terminates on you, the one who is hurting? Like, try and make sense of that. And it does take long to realize that if you've ever been to, gone to a counselor, you have the power within you to help you through this. Because when there's no God, who else do you point to? It's either point to the counselor, they're my savior, or point to you, You're, you can save yourself through this. You need to think better. You need to look at good things in the life and you need to live your way. It's reckless. It's evil. See, we, we are weak, frail. We are on, one day closer to returning to dust in the grave and we're to invest in ourselves? It's foolishness. See, we are called to invest in Jesus 
in Jesus alone. The fifth, believe in yourself. The explanation here is, is uh, if you believe in things and in you, you can live as if you have your desires already met. Believe you are rich. Live like you are rich, and you will get what you desire. This is where my laptop all, almost did it like a skipping the stone across the lake kind of thing with my laptop, and I was like so frustrated at this. A guy or a woman, I don't know who did this video, but man, it was really well done. And it was well done to the point where 900,000 people watched it and gave amazing comments. I've count, they've ne probably never counseled someone that took that advice, though. I have. I counseled a man that came to me one time and he said, I've got my, this amazing car. I've got my, this apartment that is, that is incredible, downtown Vancouver. And I've got a whack load of credit card debt, but I'm believing that I have all this stuff. I believe that it's for me. And he's even gone to conferences teaching him this stuff. It's crazy. And he goes, Jared, why isn't it working? See, the problem is this belief system has entered into the church. It's called name it and proclaim it. If you name it and you talk about it enough, then you'll one day get it. See, there are many problems with this, but the most glaring that I want to train all of us to discern is that all of these points, and this one included, is all about you. When, when, a, when someone tells you something and it's, it ends and terminates on you, it's probably something that you should run from. Because that's not how we're called to live as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We're called to give him the glory. See, we were called a couple weeks ago to guard our steps, to not be a fool, and above all, fear God. Not to seek our needs, our wants, our desires. That's not anywhere in the scripture. One of the most famous uh, verses, it's Proverbs 3, it's on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You guys could probably, some of you could probably say this by memory. But let's read it a little bit slower. I'm, I'm discipling a few guys right now, and I'm like, let's read the Bible a little bit slower and just make sure we don't miss it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. Like, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that your heart is evil and deceptive, and no one can understand it. So what's it tell us to do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Take, I want to trust everything to the Lord. I don't want to trust my heart. I want to trust in the Lord with all of what I have. With all my strength, with all of my might, with all my might. I want to give it to him because I can trust him. He knows everything. I know this much. So I want to trust the Lord with all of my heart. And do, I, I do not want to lean on my own understanding because who am I? I want to lean on God's understanding. He is, knows all. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is sovereign over all things. He's the greatest. He's the highest. He is supreme. And so he knows all things. And so let, I don't want to trust in my understanding. I want to trust in his. And in all your ways, not just a couple of your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him. This is see good in things and glorify God in it. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He is, the, he is God, and he will make straight your paths. 
So how do you walk straight with a lit, lit pathway? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on his understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then you'll be able to guard your steps better. You'll be able to walk straight. And friends, your path might be filled with wealth, possessions, and honor. And they're all gifts from God, and so you glorify God with them. But your path also might be suffering and trial and turmoil. And you take it and you honor him with it. No matter what, all your ways, acknowledge him. So why am I sharing all this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Um, I'm sharing all this because our text, if you could use one word to describe it, it would say it would be enjoyment. It'd be enjoyment. Not that the text is about enjoyment, but that for some reason, God withholds enjoyment. I'm not sure if you saw it the first time, but God withholds enjoyment in this text, and that ought to raise some questions for us, and we need to see this as followers of Jesus. Look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. This is a massive weight on mankind. It's evil. So a man to whom God gives, God gives, Wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. And yet, what, what does it say? God does not give him power to enjoy them? What's going on here? And then in verse 3 it says, If a man fathers a hundred children. That's a busy guy. All right? hundred children. I was talking to one dad. Man, with three kids. I got four. And it's like, crazy. It's mayhem. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied? And it goes on to say that, that, man, he'll have no burial. This guy's in trouble. And Solomon, the preacher king here, says to be a stillborn baby is better than him. What? Many years, many kids, Wealth, possessions, honor, and the stillborn baby is better? Verse 6, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, so a man that lives 2,000 years, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place? Again, Solomon is reminding us that doesn't matter rich or poor, wise or foolish, you know, strong or weak, we're all going to the grave. So not being satisfied with wealth, possessions, honor, long life, and many kids. What's Solomon teaching us here? What's going on? And then in verse uh, 7 through 12, he gives us five questions in a row. Are there questions on the screen? I can't remember. Yes, they are. Look at that. What advantage do the wise over the, has over the fool? Question number one. What advantage does good conduct have over another? What advantage does speech have? What is good for a man and what comes next? These are the questions Solomon is asking based on this wisdom. See, the hint that helps us answer these questions is found in chapter 7, the ne very next chapter, and we're going to get to these eventually, but I want to hit this first and give us a little bit of reason why, but chapter 7, verse 14, it says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made 
the one as well as the other. Interesting. So what is Solomon, the preacher king, the quelleth, right? It means in the Hebrew language, the gathering of the people, let me share my wisdom with you. What is he saying? What is he teaching his people? What are you saying that enjoyment is from the soul? It's from the soul. And it's only gifted to you by God. Hear me on this. You cannot find joy on your own. It's impossible. It's only given to you by God. And that's what Solomon is finding out. Through all the trials and all the testings of all these things, wealth, possessions, honor, children, long life, still no enjoyment because it's not, a, it's not something you can acquire. It is a gift by God and God alone to your soul. See, in this text, the man battles with all these things. And I believe the big idea of this text is that joy from the Lord, the lasting eternal joy, even to death, only comes by way of surrender to God, not the gift. Surrender to God, not the gift. So you don't surrender to possessions. You don't surrender to wealth. You don't surrender to honor. You surrender to God who gives it to you. So you surrender to God's eternal power. You surrender to God's sovereign reign. You surrender to God's steadfast love. You surrender to God's laws, commands, and statutes. That's what we're called to. We're called to pick up our cross and follow and surrender to him. Die to ourselves that we might live in him. This is the Christian walk. So why? Because the same message is here for us today. You might have wealth, possessions, honor, a long life, and many kids, but without Jesus, you actually have nothing. You might be poor, but if you have Jesus, you are rich. You might have nothing to your name, but if you have Jesus, you possess all things because you are a promised heir to the throne of God. You might have no honor on this earth, but if you have Jesus, like the end goal of the eternal blessing, if you have Jesus... Man, you're offered a crown and offered to sit on his throne. It says it right there in Revelation 3, verses 20 to 21. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come into your life. I want to enjoy life with you. I want to show you how to live. This is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. And if anyone hears the, my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. See, he conquered sin and death for us, something that we cannot conquer. He did it all for us and then comes and knocks on our door and goes, do you want what I have for you? See, I mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier that joy is a matter of the soul and a gift from God himself. See, when you surrender to Jesus, something miraculous happens. He fills you with his spirit. When you surrender and confess your life over to him, when you go, I want to die to myself, I want to, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be reborn into Christ that you believe that 2,000 years ago that Jesus came and walked on this earth, the very earth that we walked, and there's so much evidence of it, and so it's, it's actually foolish to not believe in it. But if you, if you haven't yet, 
and you surrender your life to him and you believe in all of your heart, you want to pass it over to the Lord and you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, it says in the Bible, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that you will be saved. It's that simple and that easy. And when you do this, the Lord fills you with his spirit and he gives you a gift. He gives you the fruit of his spirit. It's in Galatians 5, and 23. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. You truly can love now. You truly can have joy now. You truly have peace. You truly have patience. You truly have kindness. You truly have goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the spirit begins to flow out of you. See, joy is a gift of God. May God bless you with the fruit of the Spirit today, friends and family, and may you be bless others rightly as you pass these gifts over to others and use these for God's glory's sake and not ours. Marshall Siegel said in an article, and I'll close with this, for the Christian, joy in God is not optional. It's not icing for some to savor. It is central and essential. We cannot glorify God as we ought unless our souls are satisfied in him. Then he says something really cool. He says, never settle for a God who cannot satisfy you in a prison cell. The amount of people singing in prison cells in the Bible is too many to count. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? Are you filled with joy of the Lord this morning? See, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to confess Jesus as your Lord today. Enter into a praise of him. Accept him as your Lord and Savior, as your Redeemer, and follow him. It will only bring suffering, persecution, trial, but what you gain is eternal blessing. See, this world has nothing to offer you, has nothing to offer you, except really bad videos and horrible wisdom. Jesus has eternal life to offer you. Will you choose him today? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for um, your amazing grace for us. I thank you that uh, you have come 2,000 years ago to live on this earth, to pay the penalty, not to come to condemn us, but to save us, to reveal to us your kingdom, to reveal to us your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness and your self-control that we might model after you. And so I pray, Jesus, that as we live in community, as we fight that temptation to isolate, Lord, that we will strive to live and love one another as you've loved us, that we will look at one another with humble hearts, and that we will seek you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we will not lean on our own understanding, but we'll lean completely on your wisdom. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from The Shore Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not charge for it. Learn more about The Shore at www.theshorechurch.ca.